you know, it's so when the lake is calm, when it's glass and it's a warm summer morning um, and it's early enough so that it's not really, like you said, it's a little bit dim in the water. It's mm-hmm. so peaceful and you're just, you just really feel like you're part of the landscape, the mm-hmm. waterscape, so to speak. And um, that's really magical. I, yeah, I think that, and, and that does something to our brains too that is really I think nice. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a journalist, and she frequently contributes to you know small publications you might know, like the New York Times. Um, she's won various awards in journalism, and of course, the most important thing right now, she's the author of a new book, just came out this week, Why We Swim. Welcome to the show, Bonnie Tsui. Thanks, Jesse. Did I stumble over the last time? Did I get it? I was you got close. It. You got it. It was good. It was close <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's something I talk about with every guest, so I, people are probably tired of me talking about this at the beginning, um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, we have so many languages mashed together here in the U.S. that it's like to do the proper pronunciation and things that aren't necessarily uh, phonetically accurate in English. You're sometimes just struggling. You're like, I want to do this right because I don't want to offend you. Yes, exactly. The rules are different across the board. So right. I take no offense. <laughs> right. Oh, I did want to mention um, I've got my goggles. So I'm ready to hit the pool if, All right. <laughs> if you're ready to go. absolutely virtual swim baby (laughs) yeah i was um i don't know if you saw there was a story about i want to say a canadian triathlete she's one of the top uh, triathletes in the world who's supposed to be in the olympics this year and she ended up getting like i'll call it a kiddie pool but it's a little bit deeper than that it's maybe oh six feet across or so set up in her garage she set up like a buoy like a like a tether system yeah so she uh-huh. can just swim in place in her garage and continue have, to swim actually i kid you not i have seen so many of those people have been setting up these like basically swim tethers in their backyards or their yeah. garages and one of the kids um so my kids are seven and nine and they're on the swim team the local swim team and one of the kids on the team has it set up in his backyard and on their um, they do zoom dry land training a couple uh-huh. days a week and they showed a video of this kid set up with the tether and the, like the big uh, tank of water and I was really jealous <laughs> I really I was thinking you know that'd be pretty fun and ostensibly I was talking about, I was talking to my husband and I said ostensibly you know maybe we could do that for like the kids um, but I would totally love to do it it would be yeah. so fun um at least for even just for like shits and giggles you know <laughs> yeah i was trying to figure out where i could put mine and i'm like my my house is already like filled to the brim i've got since i, I run a couple of businesses and i'm still relatively small so i keep all my inventory basically in the basement so the basement mm-hmm. just and then i'm like okay maybe the garage but two problems one, it's been dropping down to like 35 degrees at night. Oh, wow. And then I also have like, I'm doing, so I live in a 1930s Tudor, and I've been doing restoration on the house. I'm stripping wow. paint. So I have this like tent set up in the garage already, taking up half, half the garage. So I'm like, I need some. Not really. It's not possible for you. We'll just yeah, it's now. probably not, probably <laughs> not possible. It's, it's a little <laughs> upsetting. I just have to use, um, I just have to use, I have a total gym. Mm-hmm. And I had that set up with the Vasa trainer. You know the name of the Vasa trainer? You probably do. It's a so it's a swim specific um, workout machine. Uh huh. Yeah. So often, like only colleges will get them because they're like right, right, right. a couple grand. But I have the paddles from that, so it's just like pull paddles in the pool. But they right. click into the um, total gym. I can basically lay on the total gym and still do like fly on yeah. that so i'm getting some yeah, <laughs> some kind of work you're doing it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been i mean i miss swimming but there are i mean at least here in the bay area that they haven't closed the beaches mm-hmm. um and coastal access so uh 
there are places to go swimming in the bay. Um, and also I've been going out to Ocean Beach um, really early in the morning, like when it's still dark to surf and paddle around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, you have to go really, really early because you don't want to be around other people. And so yeah. it's, and I, but I, uh, most, most weeks I would be doing, um, you know, every day, either swimming or surfing, like in mm-hmm. the first thing in the morning. And so it's just, I miss being in the pool. I miss the long workouts yeah. <laughs> uh, and just letting myself, you know, just my mind just wander around. And I think yeah. that just now we all really need that. I mean, we're just so, we're so, our bodies are so jittery. We're just like constantly mm-hmm. inundated with all this information. That's like pretty anxiety inducing for a lot of people. So yeah anyway i really miss it i totally miss it yeah well i think right now it's like we we almost just have to at least in our house just like stop watching like the daily updates like check it over yes. the week and just yeah, i agree with how that. are things going uh-huh. because <laughs> it's not i think we know enough now that we know that things are not going to change suddenly right. in right. that we're not suddenly going to return to normal or what we you know, what used to be normal. So I, I was actually just talking to my husband about this last night, same thing, where we were just sort of like, do we need to read the coronavirus update every day? <laughs> I mean, is that not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. just um, save your sanity and try to um, maintain equilibrium by not um, doing that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm going to back up on you just a little bit. Thinking sure. about, you said you go out to like surf and paddle around like early in the morning when it's still dark are you I, so this is the midwestern uh boy in me because i'm just <laughs> i'm a dry land kind of guy pretty much i mean i swim now and we've got lakes around here but just yeah i, I don't i've never lived on the coast so um do you take out are you like is there like a swim buoy attached to you or is there like a flashing light on your head or are you just like <laughs> out there by yourself if i'm surfing obviously i don't do that I don't need that. I uh, I will go right at first light. So I'll okay. be there in the dark, but I'll wait until I can see. Okay. It's <laughs> critical. Um, and then just, um, you know, because most of the time I would be go, going to surf with a buddy. Occasionally I still am now, but we're just much further apart. Right. Um, but uh, swimming wise, like uh, friends of mine are, are you know doing these bay swims and it's been they go during the day that's mm-hmm. i think it's just safer that way yeah um, but i have seen actually um people out swimming um on the coast on the pacific coast a little bit south of us uh and they have buoys and they mm-hmm. have like brightly colored caps and they wait until it's, it's light enough so they can see i mean i don't think anyone i mean i would not advise against people swimming in the dark right <laughs> that's right it's just asking for well and that's like a little riskier than than um that i would be comfortable with anyway yeah it's just one of those things right i think about like you know i i think this is a little bit thematic to the book but just thinking about kind of the serenity of both being in the water and a lack of light you know when Mm -hmm. we don't have don't have that visual acuity of things to focus on where you Uh know your your brain's allowed to kind of like turn down the filter a little bit and not work so much on like all the things I'm seeing. It just seems like if it were safe and comfortable to do like, just like just right at dusk or dawn where there's Mm -hmm. barely anything Mm -hmm. could be a very like calming, relaxing, relaxing experience. Yeah. And certainly in a lake setting. I mean, I, I think about swimming at Lake George in upstate New York where I have spent a lot of time and, um, you know, it's so when the lake is calm, when it's glass and it's a warm summer morning um, and it's early enough so that it's not really, like you said, it's a little bit dim in the water. It's mm-hmm. so peaceful and you're just, you just really feel like you're part of the landscape, the mm-hmm. waterscape, so to speak. And um, that's really magical. I, yeah, I think that, and, and that does something to our brains too that is really I think nice. Yeah. Yeah. How often do you come across somebody who thinks you're 
absolutely insane. And I'll, 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 all the time. Let me clarify. Cause I, you know, like, so I come from a running background and I, yeah. I find a lot of peace in running. And a lot of people will look at me like, I hate running. It just hurts. Like, why would you do that? You know? Uh-huh. And I, I feel like maybe you possibly end up with the same thing or a similar kind of idea. Like, we're, you know, we're not meant to be in the water. How could you possibly find that enjoyable? Right. Yeah. I think for people who are not, um, not comfortable in the water and don't have a regular practice with it, there's definitely that element of mm-hmm. like, why would you do that? That sounds crazy. Or they think it's that, you know, you're so tough and you're so, you know, wild and uh, to do that. Um, and I think that if they just, uh, were to integrate some of that practice into their own lives, then they would understand that it's not actually for the the like adventure rush of it exactly. It's more for, the, I mean, what you were just saying is that you get so much like uh, mental and emotional um, health from running, mm-hmm. from going out to go for a long run and where you're, I think just like going out for a long swim, your brain can wander and then you come back and, and your, your feathers are smoothed back and you're just like, you know, in this really nice state, you're tired, that you're tired in a good way. You're tired in a way that you have like run out all of the, um, the tension in your, or not all of it, but like a lot of it mm-hmm. uh, that, that is just, we, we I mean, just physically, we sit so much and we're sitting right now, unfortunately, just so that we're talking to each other. Um, But and and I think so, especially now, we're just doing so much more, spending so much time indoors in our homes. And but even before, you know, like so many more people have desk jobs and Mm -hmm. and um, not these days. And more and more uh, people are just so sedentary. And so to get the time away where you're moving and we're built to move that just kind of resets our bodies in a way that um, I think we need more than we, than we think. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people forget or don't give enough credit to that. Although we as humans have basically removed ourselves from the food chain and maybe this is why people forget, like we still are, part of the animal kingdom you know like we're yeah we're still physical beings in a physical plane experiencing physical things so like right movement is a, a natural and normal part of physical existence it's yes. like what we take that and we've worked so hard to be like be as comfortable as we possibly can be that it we're almost divorced from this more natural setting of like moving more often it's just a regular yeah. Life. For sure. Um, one of the, well, so I have uh, spent my whole life swimming and being in the water, um, obviously. But in the book, um, I there's a point in the beginning where I want to reconnect to the reason that we would have learned to swim as humans in the first place, which is, of course, survival. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I did was I went diving for abalone. Okay. Up on the north coast of California and, you know, get the abalone, dive for it, um, clean it, uh, pound it, uh, cook it, <laughs> you know, feed it to my family. And that whole experience was really interesting because I, you know, like we're, we, you said, we're, like you said, we're so divorced from movement. We're so divorced from the reasons that we would need to do it in the first place from when, you know, way, way back mm-hmm. in the evolutionary process. And I wanted to get back to some sense of like what it would be to swim for resources, right? Like to swim mm-hmm. for food, dive for food. And right. because we are so divorced from our food sources yeah. uh, these days in modern life that, you know, I have never had an urge to like go hunting or run down a deer or whatever. And, right. and but, you know, fishing, diving for something, collecting it, you know, you have to dive um, some dozens of feet down to get, the abalone and then you've got to like pry them off of the, the rock sometimes and you just have to hold your breath so it's free diving you're not allowed to do okay that's diving. what i was gonna ask yeah you're not just you're not you don't have a tanker it would be a not fair fight All right the abalone <laughs> would be wiped out. um so there are regulations around that and so um 
In fact, the abalone population has been pretty low in in the last couple of years, so they've actually closed the fishery. But I'm imagining that at some point in the next couple of years that they'll reopen it again. But um, when I did that, I just remember thinking, this is so new for me to Mm -hmm. actually go get food that and cook it and and prepare it that was and that was all done by me like my breath and my body which is it just was a a very basic thing that was very satisfying Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh and I actually really recommend it (laughs) I don't know if it's if it what form that would take um you know either you I think a lot of people obviously have gardens and they grow their food and they take a lot of satisfaction from that um and hunters among us but I um there's something about that that was really I think a reminder of like how much effort it really takes to make the food that we eat and Mm. and then sort of like what is the process of like physical effort to do that and so just an appreciation of that connection to you know all of those resources we have here that actually kind of makes me think about so this is given that this is a smart athlete podcast and I typically uh, run uh, my businesses and make products based on science, but there is another side, you know, and, and this is, I think, I guess, again, kind of thematically a little bit of what the book might look into um, is thinking about that connection to our food and where it comes from and the effort and kind of the appreciation of the process. I was thinking about as I was, you know, prepping for our interview, you know, I read the excerpt um, you posted on the New York Times from the book, or kind of talking about the book, and um, thinking about the connection to water and kind of what it does with our brain, and there's this, like, woo-woo thought in my head about, like, connection to water because we're predominantly water, Mm -hmm. and it had, you know, there's no, like, basis in testable like verifiable science I could be like this is it it's just thematically in my head it, it feels nice so I I didn't know if you've had kind of similar thoughts or or where if you've had thoughts about where that kind of um, almost zone comes from where you mm-hmm. find that that piece of the water well I mean one of the things I talk about in that um, excerpt that you talk about um, is uh, how we respond, right? So physiologically to water. And so there's so much interesting research out there now that has to do with how our brains react to the sound of water, right? Right. So increase in alpha waves, which is boosting um, serotonin and the uh, just a, a greater sense of relaxation and calm and also creativity. And those that, that, that associated with that that kind of um, brain activity, and um, but also with looking at the water, we're all drawn to the beach. We're drawn to the mm-hmm. lakes. We're drawn to just like waterfalls. Everyone loves a freaking waterfall when they go on vacation. Yeah. They just want to be near it. And there's something about you know not just uh, seeing it or hearing it. Those things are really powerful. But feeling it when you get into the water, when there's immersion there is that uh, pressure of the water on our bodies that feels really good. And, you know, everyone always thinks about, we, we, we obviously can't test this, but just in terms of like being in the womb, when you mm-hmm. were a baby, you were warm and safe and you were in water. And then, um, and then when the baby comes out, you know, one of the most uh, consistent, reliable ways to soothe the baby is to turn on a white noise machine <laughs> that mm-hmm. has the like water sound. And so it's, uh you know there's got to be a connection there and so if you think about being comforted and and just what our bodies are set to respond to mm-hmm. in our brains that, and find soothing it is those water sounds it is the um the hush this like particular kind of sound that is um associated with water and and movement of water and then of course being in the water is is also part of it um but also when you're swimming the that you're breathing that your pattern of breathing is uh a rhythm that is conducive also to um to relaxing your nervous system 
mm-hmm. you know, and 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 dam- and tamping down like fight or flight uh, responses. So, you know, taking a deep breath, holding it, letting it out slowly, and just having the rhythm of that. Um, so all of those things really contribute to that feeling of just mm-hmm. wellness and calm and just wanting to be near the water. So I think that it all makes perfect sense. And it's things that we've known for throughout time in different cultures. People have you know always written about it. And now the science is catching up, which is pretty mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's always interesting. And this is like when I don't have research to back things up, that's when I start like talking around myself and trying to give lots of caveats but i think it's i think it's fun when i'll say like our and i mean our collectively as a human species intuition about things sometimes leads to like research topics where we go is this true why is this true Mm -hmm. and then it breaks it down and says yes it is in fact true or no it's not and gives reasons Mm-hmm. In some aspect, it feels almost like sacrilegious to go, you know, about those things. Say, say there's like a mystic experience and like science uh-huh. wants to explain that. And you're right. like, no, can't you just let it be? But at the same time, <laughs> it's like, does that necessarily take away from the experience itself? If it's if it's explainable, you know? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I find it, for me personally, and I suspect you just because of what you said, that uh to know or to find out to investigate in a scientific way things we've always felt to be true is really mm-hmm. interesting and to that there's a revelatory uh sense of of like just peeling back layers of mm-hmm. knowledge that is i find i think just because like we're curious animals and yeah. so we want to know and so uh, it's actually when we don't know that it's frustrating, you know, um, mm-hmm. so, but I think, but I do think that, uh, I think what you're asking is also like, there is a magic to, to a lot of, uh, experiences. And so if we analyze them too much, does it take it away? I don't think so. Not in yeah. this case. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's a matter of like almost living with the, dual potentially paradoxical situation where it's like Mm -hmm. you know i you know i'm pretty square i've not ever done psychedelics or anything but like there's research into psychedelics and now the potential of you know them being therapeutic for like ptsd and those kind of things Mm -hmm. as they're figuring out what actually happens in the brain right and it's like okay well we can use them for therapeutic uses potentially i think at this point we can say almost definitively we can but then also there are people that have these you know trips and they have revelations and it changes their perspective on life and it's Uh like well you regardless of you know our knowledge about how it works in the pathways in the brain what you experienced is still real in the sense that you experienced it and it it Mm -hmm. changed how you look at things that's not negated by the fact that we can say okay it, it makes this synapse fire and these yeah. certain things yeah. happen you know yes i agree with that i mean i i have in the reading that i've done on the topic i've also um found it really interesting when they have done the use of psych- psychedelics on you know cancer patients or people mm-hmm. who are terminally ill yeah. that it just uh quite dramatically reduces their fear and anxiety mm-hmm. which I think um, whatever it is that they have experienced in their per, per, you know in their particular um, trip where they have been visited by their dead mother or they were walking in a field of poppies and then we're just suddenly like I feel at one with the universe you know it just whatever it is that they whatever version of that that they had on psychedelics uh that they come out on the other side of that feeling better and at peace with what's coming like mm-hmm. i don't see how that could be bad you know right. and i th- and i think that uh they are scientists are and researchers are are becoming better at guiding those trips so that they, 
they don't end poorly right. <laughs> you know, that, that, that you don't have such a, a bad I, I think in a controlled environment certainly like in a in a doctor's office or wherever it is that they, they have set up these control control conditions that dramatically reduces the possibility or the risk that that you will have a bad trip but um i think that if you are suffering and there is this treatment available to you that could really change your um, perspective in such a beneficial way um and it is it is a kind of it is a kind of medicine right but it's like mm -hmm. it's almost like a psychological slash physical medicine chem right. chemical medicine that you're taking like because it will alter you um yeah i don't know I, even though it's not fixing your your illness your cancer or your right. Um, whatever it is that is terminal, that it fixes your understanding of what's happening and your acceptance of it, which I just find that amazing. I just find that so fascinating. And, and why would that be? And what does it do to the pathways? Of your... So then going back to the whole science side of it, what yeah. does it do to the pathways of your brain? Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you get around that, that situation, you get arguments about like, you know, we've had this kind of, at least in the U.S., the culture about, like, just say no to drugs and, like, the D.A.R.E. program and, like, all these things for so long, the war on drugs. It's hard like, to swing back in the other direction. Right, it's hard to swing back the other direction to say, okay, well, these things have therapeutic use. But I guess I kind of come from the place of, like, um, I don't think he's the first person to talk about this, but in college we read John Stuart Mill and On Liberty and talked about the harm mm -hmm. principle and basically if – you know, if you're not hurting anybody else and mm -hmm. it's what you want to do, then fine. So I kind of come from that standpoint where it's like, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, if it's if it aids a patient in reducing their anxiety and fears about the inevitable end of their life, which we all will experience, yeah. but they are more cognizant of it. It's like, yeah, they're not harming anybody else mm -hmm. by, you know, if it's a, in a controlled setting and, and, mm -hmm. and being administered by a professional, they're, right. they're not harming anybody else. It, it helps them, which probably helps their family as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't see any problem with it, at least from that standpoint. Yeah. You know, you know um, this discussion of psychedelics reminds me of what the longest since swimmer Lynn Cox said. Uh, she told me, I interviewed her actually about what, she thinks about when she's swimming and what it does to her brain and she said you know she said who needs psychedelics when you have swimming because when she gets in the water she says that she you know she swims for like epic distances yeah in epic conditions and just so she's got plenty of time for her brain to go like all over the place but she says that you know she will be um you know swimming under the pier or something and she will suddenly smell coffee like so powerfully and it's because like she, the rest of her senses are kind of maybe muted. And so mm -hmm. she's kind of in this, like, um, like we were saying, there's a little bit of a dulled or muted state, but the one thing that hits is the coffee smell. And so it's so powerful. It's so sharp. She's just like, it's almost as if I've never tasted or smelled coffee before. And it's like this mm -hmm. new, and you, if you think about it, um, if you're on, if you're altered in some way by psychedelic, it's like you have this like um, uh, very vivid, focus shift mm -hmm. you know you'll suddenly be suddenly feel like your hands are gigantic <laughs> because it's like you are suddenly so focused on what your hands feel like or what your fingers look like um or that you will hear music and then be so moved to tears or it's just like this funny thing of like if you look around where you are right now in your room it's like you see all right normally we see everything kind of more evenly but i think when you're altered whether it's by swimming or in a or drugs it's like that there's like a focus suddenly on the light or this or this and it's mm -hmm. jumping and it's so intense and i think that's what is so interesting about all of these i mean certainly like sports can do that to us when we're in competition because it's so um it's the it's the zone right so you're in the zone because your adrenaline is is so firing you up and so your focus like almost like the time expands even though it's like three seconds mm -hmm. um but it's your brain perception that is um making it seem like it's so much longer right or that um if something happens to be seems to be going very quickly like when you're in a flow state 
um, or really you're not noticing the passage of time at all, it's because you are so, you know, immersed in the experience of doing a thing that you, you aren't paying attention Mm -hmm. to time passing. And so uh, in terms of like how we uh, as humans, like our brains and our bodies react to our experience of sports and various activities that we're doing, I just, you know, we, we really have like, it is like a superpower to be able to do all of those mm-hmm. things. When you're in the pool, do you ever notice that like you can see, but you're no longer seeing like when I, when I mm-hmm. swim, mm-hmm. like my eyes are paying attention to, there's a black line at the bottom of the pool and I can see when the you know bar comes that I need to flip turn and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like, my brain is no longer actively paying attention to these images. Yeah. They're, pa- yeah. they're kind of passive uh-huh. and it's more like, how does my breathing feel? How does, how do the stroke uh-huh. feel? What's the effort? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, that's the sensation where my brain is, or maybe if I'm going easy, I'm thinking about what I have to do to the day or like right. trying to be creative or something. But yeah. it's like my, like, I just don't know in any other situation where my eyes are on and off at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are because you have gone into autopilot. Right. Yeah. So you are, I, I think that swimming in open water is a little bit different because <clears throat> you have to pay attention to certain hazards because the conditions are changing. But when you're right. in a pool, it is very much like once you get into the rhythm of the thing, because it's the same measured distance for, you know, your laps, um, that you are just, your brain is freed. Your mm-hmm. eyes are freed to like kind of not really be paying much attention except on the very, you know, sort of like bare minimum. So it's almost like only, you know, 10% of your brain is, is sort of keeping you physically in the space that you're supposed to be Right. And then right. the rest of it is just doing some other stuff. And I think that that sort of redistribution of your mental effort and focus and energy is pretty cool. I mean, does that happen to you when you're running? Mm, not unless it's a route I've run many, many times. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, it, what if you were running around a track? Um, maybe. But often when I'm running around a track, I'm... the visual thing doesn't go away because Mm -hmm. I have to turn. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always thinking about cutting as absolutely close to that white inside line as I possibly can. (laughs) Uh So there's that, but it's just like, there is some let go of, of the, the visual side when I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about, um, you know, the rhythm of my breathing versus, um, the cadence of my legs and kind of how that falls and the effort, mm-hmm. but it, it just, it doesn't back off nearly as much mm-hmm. as it does in the mm-hmm. pool. Cause you can really fade out in the pool. You know, yeah. part of it, I think it's just occurring to me now that it, it, it could be, um, because you're floating. You're right. not, it's not, you're not entirely. I don't think there's as much. Well, I mean, you need your core, but there's not as much balance involved. Yeah, uh, and, no. and also when you're running, it's like you're constantly getting the feedback from the ground, right? And um, and your body in space that I think that you just really, it's like the impact, and it's it's more um, it's it's hard, it's it's like a harder, I guess what it's more impact like there's more impact like you it's it's higher impact, and so when you're in the pool, it's the um, because there's none of that, like constant, like hitting the ground that you are somehow able to remove yourself from mm-hmm. your body a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. Like it's, that's both like, I think a metaphorical and also like an actual literal thing of like, just, you don't, you're not afraid of injuring yourself on some level. I think <laughs> if you're yeah. not paying as quite much attention, I don't know. Yeah. I know there's, hazards. there's uh there's definitely been times where I've kind of reached a, I'll say transcendental state, but it's a, that's a little over-exaggerating, <laughs> but just a state where I feel like I'm just motion running. Yeah. Yeah. But it happens much more frequently in the pool. 
Yeah. And I feel like the, the best analogy is it's almost like the difference between trying to meditate in a, um, why I just forgot what it's called, uh, one of those pods with the salt water. Oh, uh-huh. Like those immersion pods? Yes, there we go. Uh-huh. It's like the difference between trying to meditate inside like an immersion pod or uh, next to a jackhammer. <laughs> There's that pounding again. High impact. Yeah. High impact. <laughs> yeah. It's just something Maybe like the jackhammer's rhythmic, but, but it's, it's loud and jarring. Yeah, it's acute in a way that, um, you know, being in a pool... It, I think it's also, so So let's talk about the sound. So not just the sensory, uh, right. like the physical uh, touch aspect, but like the sound. Yeah. So again, being in the pool is there's a hush and you don't, it allows you, I think, to check out in a way yes. that when you're running, you can't really or don't really, unless you it is blessedly silent or, or you're only listening to birds or something, but you yeah. know, usually you're running around other people and there's just cars. And um, so, yeah, I think that, what are we saying here? We're saying that if we want to get to a calm and meditative state, meditative state, you really got to get in the water. You got to get in the pool. You got to get in the pool. Sensory deprivation tank. That's what I was looking for. Oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, isn't that also, it's, it's darkness too. It's right? dark so it's as darkness. well. Yeah, I've never gotten it, into one. I feel, I feel it's like it's supposed to be it. just like there's enough salt that you, you takes no effort to stay above the water, so uh-huh. you just float, yeah. and then it's completely dark, absolutely mm. dark, no sound, nothing. I've heard people will like begin to hallucinate because of the lack of light. It's yeah. that dark. Yeah, but I, I think you're onto something with the with the sound because I know and I thought about this a couple nights ago. That like often I end up sleeping on my side, even though like I'm more comfortable laying on my back because one of my ears is on the pillow and it takes the sound element out. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I could take the sound element out, like it's I notice it's easier for me to relax and let my brain fade away. Right. I don't have any kind of cursory noise. Yeah. That's just sort of because your brain will snag on it. I mean, you think right. about sometimes you're falling asleep, you're falling asleep, you don't realize you're drifting off until something like a sound, yeah, uh, sharp enough that you you do that start thing, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then you're like, oh man, I was almost there, but you didn't really even notice it because it was so yeah, like, nice slow runway until that sound caught you. It's like a snag um, in yeah. your brain or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, funny enough, swimming used to cause that snag for me. Because really? I, was, I was swimming too many, I was, I was swimming too much yardage for my fitness level at the time. I really yeah. was kind of stretching myself thin. And I would be going to sleep and I would jerk and wake myself up and like, I would be like trying to like bring my arm around <laughs> like I'm swimming. And I, there was my girlfriend at the time. Um, there were several occasions where I like smacked her in the face on accident oh because. My gosh. I was like trying to, trying to swim while I'm trying to sleep at the same time because my arms were just so like I don't know just so shot from the amount of stress <laughs> I was putting on them. So it was. Did an interesting she say time. that? Did she recommend that you stop swimming or swim more? What was the her uh, thought on it? Stop I don't trying to punch me in the face. I don't. I think it was just don't punch <laughs> me in the face. I think that I, it wasn't. It wasn't even like you know she was good about it. It wasn't like she was like mad or anything. She was just like. Just another time, like yeah, may, you know, maybe instead of doing butterfly, you should try to do like backstroke or something. Yeah, <laughs> so that you're not as wide. Yeah, not as wide. But um, I, I am curious. Uh, so based on the language you use, kind of describing like this present, present thought in in where you are with swimming. Uh, you know, again in that excerpt where you're talking about um, swimming, you're both floating and in danger of sinking and mm, mm-hmm. you know like having to be active yet also you know like we talked about it in con- contrast with running you know not having to be quite as like in it to continue to move is that do you have prior to the book or putting your thoughts kind of together do you have like a mindfulness practice or a meditative practice that you spend time thinking about those kinds of things or is it just our kind of culture bringing that together into your head 
Um, I don't have a mindfulness practice. Uh, a, a long time, several years ago, uh, a friend of mine uh, and I thought it might be good to try to go to, uh, so I live here in Berkeley, and um, there's a Buddhist priory where you can kind of go and, and yeah. like a free meditation session class. And at the time, I just remember thinking, you know, sitting, you have to kneel you know, in this dim room, and, and I think, I can't even remember what the period of time was, but I think it was like 30 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes, mm -hmm. but it felt like an eternity, mm -hmm. and I kept just thinking about how my knee hurt, and um, I do not think, maybe I glimpsed that, you know, maybe that, that, that I could get into that flow state where I, or just the state being where I just didn't notice the time passing, but I really was glad that it was over. And yeah. <laughs> I think it is because um, swimming has come to take that role in my life. And certainly in the writing of the book, I interrogated that because I was wondering, like, why is it that I feel so much better after I do it? And mm -hmm. I feel different at the end than, from, you know, at the beginning. And I wanted to, I was paying more attention to, as I was writing this those particular sections of the book where I was asking myself those questions um, because I wanted to get scenes in there of what it is like to go swimming. Like, you know, you can't write a book about swimming without actually conjuring up the really granular, like wonderful, um, crisp feeling of what it is like to be in the water. And so mm -hmm. I would, I, I, I saw that I was paying more attention to what that would was like. And so there'd be days where I would be swimming and then I would see like a bird go across the sky. And then I remember thinking, I wonder how many times like a bird poops in the pool, like in a day, <laughs> you know, I had never wondered that before. And I thought, huh, and where does that go? <laughs> and just like, you know, just sort of following my thoughts, like, uh, like with, a, with that into the gutter of the pool, just, just really <laughs> thinking um, funny thoughts just following them where they would take me mm -hmm. and realizing over time that that there was something really beneficial about that just like this uh wandering and the cre creativity of that certainly was was um helpful to me as a writer but just to um for just mental health allowing myself to think thoughts for no particular reason because we are really always expected to produce and we're always expected mm -hmm. to keep you know thinking about the angle on things and trying to figure out the next steps of things and and you know in our work and productivity and all that um in 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 work and life and you know family life um just whatever it is that are your responsibilities every day and so it's a luxury to have the space to wonder about bird poop <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> or wonder about bird poop sorry and wander um in this place where you that is your time mm -hmm. and actually remember i i asked um you know the olympian Tara torres who's just you know she's been in five olympics and she's like the ultimate competitor but mm -hmm. uh i asked her what she thinks about when she's swimming and she said you know Sometimes I'm thinking about like all the things I have to do and I got errands I got to run. But she also says like sometimes she's just not thinking about anything. And for right. someone who's always on uh, to know that that time is your time to do with you with it, what you will is just really um, pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes as a culture, because we're so like work and productivity focused, Mm -hmm. that we undervalue the the time spent not doing anything mm -hmm. like that yeah. you know i don't know how your creative process goes obviously as a journalist you put a lot of words out and you know quite eloquently you're not writing like i write which is just slap something on the page and, <laughs> and go with it it always has to start somewhere you can't get right. anywhere unless you do that <laughs> right right um but like, I find, you know, I have other creative outlets and, and just, you know, like, so I, one of the things I do is I create original card games and board games. And mm. so I have to create these, you know, sometimes complex systems of rules and they all have to balance and do all these kind of things. And, uh, 
it's like like one of the first games I made, I basically came up with and designed the whole thing while I was swimming. Just mm. because I allowed my brain to be like, just start making associations. And I wasn't worried about like it being perfect. It was just like, it just let it do its thing. Yeah. You know, See, instead of, you are instead the of forcing perfect it. example of what I am talking about. <laughs> I'm just going to take a picture of you and put it into my paste it in that part of the book. <laughs> I, I, a lot of work, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like, I, I think people forget that that downtime sometimes is more productive than yes, forcing yourself to sit in front of the yeah. screen and put things out, you know. And that is never, yeah, that, that has a, a limited shelf life that approach um right. and in fact my next book which i am supposed to be writing already is um is about just that process of like fallow time which is uh the time that you have to that's unstructured time that's sort of like or whatever it is that, that, that you do that's outside of your that maybe is not recognized as your work mm-hmm. that allows you to do that work better um or be more that allows you to be more creative it allows you to sort of basically plow your um you know it's it's like it's like taking care of that soil and letting it lie fallow the soil it's except that it's like your your brain and your creativity and just like your imagination and your resources basically it's like Mm. your mental and emotional resources to like make the things that you that make your work worthwhile basically um so uh i think swimming for me is definitely that kind of time and for you too it sounds like because you know you it happens when you're not really trying to do the work Mm -hmm. and 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 swimming is a conduit to that and i think that's what i think is really cool about um about the practice but also it's it's a lot of other practices that let you that other people have that let them to let them do what they need to do so mm-hmm. it's like replenishing time it's like uh you know time off the clock but it is still time that is valuable but unfortunately we don't really as a culture allow ourselves to have that although right now is like possibly the greatest possible experiment in this <laughs> to hey what are you know you got more time than you ever thought you would ever have I feel like I see a lot of people putting out videos with like very creative stuff right now when yeah. they're just trying to fill their time with things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they're just like really letting that create to like, let's explore if we can possibly do this and then doing things they wouldn't normally be doing and, and yeah. making kind of like fun connections. Some of them are silly, some of them are yeah. profound, but it's like things that wouldn't have happened if we were still forcing everybody to be at work. <laughs> Right. You know, and doing the normal routine. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, sometimes, um, you know, just a big uh, free, you know, blank slate is beneficial to creativity. But sometimes the restrictions on that right. space are what give you something to push against and, and um, react against. And I think this could be a whole, you know, this, this whole experiment that we're going on uh, in right now with uh, the pandemic is definitely, I think that it could be seen as that frame to push against. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, there's a balance here where it's like some people operate very well when you say you can do absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And then other people are start freaking out, paralyzed. By yeah, and they yeah. cannot do. Yeah. So then you have to say, okay, here's a ten by ten room. Here's some supplies. <laughs> you can do anything with these supplies inside this room. And then they're yeah. like, okay, I'm doing better now. Like <laughs> this is right. this is my zone. Yeah. So it's like finding the balance between those two, and it's you almost have to take people on an individual level and say. How does this person operate? Which, mm-hmm. you know, when we're building like work systems is not really scalable. So that's why a corporate <laughs> environment right. doesn't really foster that kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did see, um, I think you also have a children's book coming up yes, soon. I do. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, 
it seems like you swap through a lot of genres. You're not just like <laughs> you're not just like only a children's author or like only talk about so, so like you you know you go through a fair number of genres. So how how do you navigate these the different genres? Like are you I assume that means you're just you're a journalist in the in the most pure sense of the word. Um that's a great question. I uh I think that at this particular point of my career it has been really fun to see opportunities open up that I didn't necessarily see. So that children's book came about because, I mean, I had always wanted to write a children's book, but Mm -hmm. it is not a field that you can break into easily. (laughs) Even if you are a writer, it's just a very specific genre and, and it has its own doors that are, you know, it's hard to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wrote this, uh, cover story for California Sunday Magazine about women big wave surfers and how mm-hmm. they were um, preparing to surf Mavericks here, um, big, a break down here in California. And um, a children's book editor in New York saw the story and said, this is so interesting. And she called me up and she said, would you be interested in writing a children's book about mm-hmm. this? And I said, yes, I would. Absolutely, I would. So it's, um, I mean, it's a credit to that children's book author. She could have, um, you know, you could see a scenario in which she said, that's a great idea. I'm going to ask this already, a children's book author, to write a write about this. But mm-hmm. you also see a lot of children's books out there that are not very good for various reasons. And part of it is because I think um, uh, they try to communicate too much information in not a story-fied way. Like it's, Mm -hmm. I think about like biographies of figures, like famous figures that you want your kids to know. And so they try to tell tell the story of, you know, um, say Sally Ride, the first woman in space. And it's basically all of Sally's life facts like vomited forward onto into a a kid's book and it's it's not interesting because it's not the story of her life like how she came to be an astronaut or what who she is and so you may know these bare facts about her but you don't really know who sally wright is and so i was really um i I read i have read a lot of children's books because i have a seven and nine year old Mm -hmm many many times over (laughs) the same books over and over again and um but when i was asked to write this book i went and looked at more and more books and and saw what i had just um uh, told you which is that like a lot of books didn't really have the story and so i said well if i were going to tell a story of um the first woman to surf mavericks like what does that experience actually look like and so i and how i approached it was to tell the story of like her meeting the day she met that first wave mm-hmm. and so then it involves like the the wave forming in the pacific it involves like what her, her life has been waiting for this wave to surf and so um and then it's the moment that they meet and they surf the wave and so it's like it's trying to create the narrative drama for a story for a kid that anybody wants mm-hmm. just because it's a kid's book it doesn't mean that it shouldn't have that. It should. Right. And so I wanted to do that. And I think that's why it succeeded. And she wanted to buy the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but all this is to say that, like, I am, I think, I feel very lucky to be at this point in my career where people are asking me to do things because I, that maybe is not expected or intuitive because mm. they, that, I have done good enough work that it makes them want to take a chance on me in something that's totally different. Mm -hmm. So um, I really appreciate that. I feel very blessed. Um, But I also feel like I just want to keep trying things. Like I think it's really fun to, to not just watch from the sidelines. I want to be like doing those things. And um, I think, I really hope that that those opportunities keep coming up. Mm -hmm. Well, I think to, to your credit, when we're thinking specifically about children's books, you know, you you have the 
um, ability at this point to look at a kid's book and say, well, what actually makes a good good yeah. kid's book? You know, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, I mean, how many people, almost everybody, like getting a little bit of over-exaggeration, but how many people have you heard say, I can write a kid's book? It's yeah, like, so many. Yeah. So many people. And, and it's like, well, okay, do you think you can write a kid's book because there's not that many words? That's and it's very simple. Why people say that. Yeah. I, I think that's why people say that. But it's like, okay, at the same time, you that means you have less words to make an impact, communicate a story, right. bring yeah. character development. Like yeah. you're take you're you're basically trying like as a corporate example, it's like you're trying to become Apple as an author because you want a very complex thing in the most elegant, simple package you can get, right. it, which takes much more expertise yeah, than you think that it. That actually is very, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I, and it, it was. I mean, for me, it was also serendipity, right? Like, I, right. I was asked to do this at a time in my life when I was reading so many books, <laughs> children's books to my kids with my kids. Yeah. That were. Uh, some were magical, some were incredible, and some were really not. And um, so I was able to interrogate, why was that? Like, why mm-hmm. did I think that as a writer? Um, and so it was, it really was so serendipitous, um, because I couldn't have done that 10 years ago. Yeah, I wasn't reading like right. children's books right. a week, <laughs> like forced to anyway, in my daily life. Um and so that, you know, and I think I am actually a really big believer in being ready for the thing that comes at you when it comes. Mm-hmm. And, but you don't know when that happens. And I think that part of it is just being open to that opportunity when it does come. And cultivating that is just cultivating curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little cliche, but I do like the, the saying that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. Because if you, you know, if say, as you mentioned, say that opportunity had come 10 years ago and you weren't reading kids books, maybe you could do, maybe you could write the book, but it wouldn't be as good as now that you have the insight about the books, you know, (laughs) I'm reasonably sure it would have stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I want to be honest. Right. I just, yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's exciting. I think it is, uh, um, it's an exciting time. It's an uncertain time, which is also scary, but, um, you know, I'm trying to stay buoyant about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, so, Bonnie, as we're starting to run out of time, um, there's a question I'm asking everybody this year, sure. um, because it's thematically something that, kind of crosses boundaries and everybody has a different answer. So I want to ask you, what do you think the purpose of sport is? Ooh, wow. Um, I mean, I think that the purpose of sport on a very basic level is play, right? It's an excuse to keep playing through adulthood. Uh, and I, and I thought about this when I was writing this book, um, because swimming is one of those activities that you see. Okay, so from a kid point of view, you see, you just go to the pool or go to the beach or on any summer day, and you're just you you are a witness to joy. You're a witness. To just kids like ah, you know, they're mm-hmm. in the water and they just love to be there, cannonballing, you know, just just spiraling around and just playing games and splashing, and that is very much pure. Like it is pure play. And then, um, but. It's, at the same time, you see, I'll go to the pool, I'll be doing my laps, and I will see that, you know, these guys, men and women of, like, advanced age, where they seem very serious, and they're swimming their laps, and then they leave the pool, and then they do this thing. I've seen this so many times, I just love it so much, where they'll dive down, and, like, dive under the lanes to get to the ladder. Mm -hmm. But they're not just, like, doing it in a functional way, they're just, like, they will dive down and they will kind of dolphin and they'll spiral and then they'll do a flip. <laughs> you know, they'll do something just for the pure 
reason of just doing it because it's fun. Mm -hmm. And so I think water and swimming has that ability to very obviously, very clearly bring that element of play out in all of us. And I think that does translate to sport more broadly. Um, But I think with swimming, it's really easy to see. And that is, um, I think that's why um, it makes me really happy to do it. It's a great answer. The play is a new one, so I'm I'm glad you brought that All up. All right. Um, so if people want to get the book, find you. Where can they buy the book, and where can they kind of keep up with what you're you're doing? Sure, they can buy the book anywhere books are sold. Really, it's online. You know, online bookstores. Um, of all sorts bookshop.com is a really great um, option uh, because it connects you to your local independent books booksellers Um, and you can find me uh, on my website bonnietoy.com that's b-o-n-n-i-e-t-s-u-i.com and on twitter same deal (laughs) (laughs) sounds good so in case anybody's listening and not seeing it on the screen, again, the book is called Why We Swim. Bonnie, thanks for spending time with me today. Thanks, Jesse. It was a pleasure. Take care.